This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. Today, uh, we take a look at the career of Rafael Nadal, the trials, the tribulations, and how he's persevered right throughout on his way to 21 Grand Slam titles. Plus, we take a look at all the off-field dramas surrounding the Indian cricket team and off lately, the English and the Australian teams with the departure of the head coaches. All that and more coming right up. Hello and welcome to The Backpast. I'm your host Shivang Dubey and today with me, I have the guy whose stats could give Wisden a run for their money, Sid Bhala. Hey guys. Next up, we have someone who supports a team in red that lost over the weekend. He can possibly explain to you everything that's wrong about your deadlift technique as he can about Man United's inability to break down Middlesbrough. Gurpreet Singh Rana. Hey, everyone. Let's forget about deadlift, Shivank. Let's start off with VAR. What is wrong with VAR? Ooh, I'm sure that's a spicy topic for some other day. But no, we will have to talk about VAR at some stage. And finally... Our last panelist, much like Gurpreet, is still trying to piece the puzzle of how United haven't gone through to the next round. Just like I'm confused as to why Lukaku doesn't make the right movements, we've got Pavesh Milani. <laughs> hey, Shivank. Uh, look, just to add on to what Gurpreet said, I think I know. It's not VAR. It's Man United. They showed up to a handball game thinking it was a football game. And really, that's on Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't help it if he's coaching the wrong tactics. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, he's talking about pressing up the front. What about pressing the guy's hand? You know, to make sure he doesn't hit the ball. Exactly. Exactly. It's all the details, guys. It's all about the little details. Exactly. Like, how is that not a natural hand position for the guy? I've told you. I, I, I actually walk around like that all the time. I, I spend my whole life in the Titanic pose. <laughs> that comment wins it right there. <laughs> That could be that could be a competition for Shahrukh Khan pose as well, then, Bhavish. <laughs> it always depends on the context, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure my wife would like me doing Shahrukh Khan poses, though. Or Titanic, come uh, yeah. to think of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless I make airplane noises. <laughs> all right, lads, all banter aside, can we just give credit where it's due to both Middlesbrough and Plymouth, who've provided us with a fresh dose of magic of the cup? after what felt like an eternity of no domestic football. I mean, just watching Chelsea play last night aged me by 10 years. However, speaking of age, someone who isn't showing many signs of slowing down with age is Mr. 21-time Grand Slam winner, Rafael Nadal. I think all of us last week picked Nadal as the guy who's going to win the Australian Open, but Gurpreet, you really hit the hammer on the head by saying he'll go through just on mental toughness alone. How good a call was that? Two sets down, almost about to lose the third set, but he powers through and wins it in the fifth set. How good was that? Well, I, as you said, Trevank, we'd all pick Nadal for, for various reasons. But at two sets down, we were all looking like mugs. I think I read something on, on the Twitter sphere that uh, the percentage calculation thing that these algorithms put out they had uh, Medvedev at 91% at that point. So I think it was just after the second set finished, um, Rafa was a 9% chance to win. Uh, 
And goodness me, it's it's almost like when the machine says you can't win this refer, that he turns up and says, hey, algorithm, I'm going to show you just how little you know. Can I just say that was a victory for all mid-30s men everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I can't relate to that feeling. I'm so sorry. Don't exclude the early 40s, please. <laughs> <laughs> Your time will come, Shivak. Your time will come. Here's a bit of quick maths for you, Bhavesh. Um, how old were you when he won his first Grand Slam? Oh, so how geez. old were you in 2005? 2005. I was 20 years old. My whole life ahead of me. I wasn't even I mean, in my teens at that point in time. Okay, Shivang, I think we've heard enough from you about how young you are. <laughs> no, but no, but, uh, Gurpreet's actually raised a very good point. Like, Nadal won his first Grand Slam in 2005. If you put that in context, he's been at the top of the, the tennis world for 17 years. 17 years ago, Messi and Ronaldo had zero Ballon d'Ors combined. I mean, we, we can talk about how amazing that final was. I think um, Sid talked about it last week. The, the tournament as a whole was disappointing, I think it'd be fair to say. But, but that final, I think, will live long in the memory, especially because of it, it was the one that took him to 21. But the, the overall longevity, and, and here's, here's a couple of things um, that I'd almost forgotten about. In, in 2005, all the cool kids were using Bebo and MySpace. And MSN was the chat tool of choice. That's how long this guy has been dominating the tennis world. I mean, that alone, that alone is just phenomenal. On yeah. the Ballon d'Or thing, um, Shivank, Ronald Dinho won the Ballon d'Or in 2005. That's how long this guy has been winning. Absolute machine. Absolute machine. And you know when I saw him in the, in I think it was the first yeah. set, and he was sweating absolute bullets there. And Medvedev didn't seem too fast, didn't seem too phased. He was playing brilliant tennis, barely you know shedding any any perspiration at all. And I was thinking, there's no way, there's no way Rafa's going to last the distance. I thought if this is going to be a five setter, it's Medvedev's. But my goodness, he proved us all wrong. And what a performance from him! Once he uncorked that forehand. You know, because he was struggling with that in the first couple of sets. There were a lot of unforced errors. It was uncharacteristic yeah. from Rafa mm-hmm. Nadal. Something flipped in him somewhere midway through the third set that just brought him right back to life. His first serve was never that great, and his first serve wasn't fantastic during the game. But um, he he saw, and this is this is where experience comes in. He saw Medvedev's gait change very slightly. I think around about the middle of the third set, he realized Medvedev was starting to cramp up and he started to play a lot more of those drop shots, a lot more of those slices and really forcing him around the court. And that extra exertion, it just had that exponential effect game after game, set after set. And the wily old champion won. So what a great performance. What a great comeback. Absolute mentality monster is Rafa Nadal. If I have to say something on the AI side of things, especially, you know, if a machine is predicting what's happening, one thing I've learned in Australia is even if there's a 1% chance, there is a chance. Gabba. And I'm referring to the GABA test. You don't have to go any further than the GABA. Right? <laughs> there was a one. Love it. Exactly. I love it. There was a, so this was 9%, which is, you know, 900% times more than what the GABA test was. Um, yeah, look, coming to uh, Nadell, uh, mental toughness, amazing. I think uh, 
he reminded me of Dhoni, and I use cricket a lot as example. Dhoni used to say, the longer you drag the game, it puts the uh, opposition under pressure as well. And this is exactly the game Rafa was playing because he was just tiring him out. And as Bhavi said, he was just purely time, you know, just tiring him out. Let's just take it to the fifth set and see who comes out on top. And this is where ex- you cannot beat experience, plain and simple. Um, you know, his his rallies were amazing. Yes, he had a lot of double force, but his mental game was just winning all the time. 21 out of 29. The next best was Pete Sampras, 14 out of 18. I mean, still there were 20 for, uh, what's his name, Federer and uh, Novak. But, geez, this guy was just brilliant on the day. So, yep, hats off. And in addition to mental toughness, there's the physical element too. He outran Medvedev. He outran him. And this is, what, two months after having recovered from COVID and having had major surgery as well. And he looked fitter and faster than the man 10 years is younger. Like I said, hey, it's a victory for all 30-something and above men out there. Uh, and I think you've, you've nailed it, Pavish, because it's, it, I think uh, with all the great finals we've seen him play, and, and particularly in the French Open, right? It, it's almost a strategy where he draws people into these sheer contests of physical endurance. And he knows that when, when the game is down to that physical endurance, that being a mental monster, he is just going to run over the... T- We've seen him do it time and time again to Federer, to Djokovic, to other great tennis players. It, it, it's almost like a boxing match. He, he takes it to those later rounds and he knows that in those later rounds, he's got the game. Actually, you've just brought up um, something I really wanted to touch on. <clears throat> You've just meant well. Actually, you and Sid both have mentioned not too long ago about both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Do you think you know that um, in the last fifteen, eighteen odd years, these guys have twenty, twenty, and twenty-one titles, sixty-one out of the possible, however many there are? How much do you think it's a case of these three just pushing each other to their absolute limit and driving these amazing results? Because if you think about it, no tennis player can be fit enough without the motivation at his age to come back after a major surgery and still dominate the game. Mental toughness aside, I'm just looking at the physical side of things right now. Uh, I mean, uh, Siobhan, just on that, uh, I thought one of the things post-final that really stuck out for me was the Instagram post that Roger Federer put out. I won't read out the whole thing, but there was a sentence in there where he says... I am proud to share this era with you and honored to play a role in pushing you to achieve more. Uh, To the point that you've made, I think Roger, in his own words, talks about that the great man himself says how much they've pushed each other on. The the other thing that really stood out for me was they they played that great Wimbledon final in, in 2008. Uh, And look, I, I'm not a, I'm not a tennis expert, but with everything I've read, the countless times I've watched replays of that final, a lot of analysts say that is the greatest game of tennis ever, right? But then in 2019, the two of them meet again in the French Open semifinal. And it was in that game that it was the oldest, compi- the oldest combined age of competitors, 71 years old. 
right? It is just phenomenal what the two of them have done to each other in pushing them on. Absolutely phenomenal. I think that's yeah, yeah. That that that's a fair point. I mean, this was. I remember when I was working in Christchurch, and I was talking more than ten years ago, is when this rivalry was actually being talked about, you know. And the thing is, this rivalry has just gone on forever. Um, there was a lot of debate about who was a better player. Was it Federer? Was it Nadal? And I think everyone has their own judgment. So we won't we won't talk about you know who's better out of the two because they're equally good in their own right. Nadal dominated Federer for quite a long time. He just just became his nemesis, you know. And I think I mentioned this on the chat as well. If someone asked where does Nadal live, a lot of people said he lives in Federer's head, you know, because he was just <laughs> dominating him every game. Not that he was a, a better player or Federer was a worse player. However, it's just the way the the, the the rivalry panned out. And you're right, they just pushed each other to perform to the best. And this is this is what you want to see day in, day out. And I think this is where these people have kept the tennis alive for, you know, likes of me and I think you guys as well. Yeah, Otherwise, absolutely. It, you know, it was sort of becoming a thing where oh, I'm not that interested because likes of Pete Sampras have moved on and, Andrea Agassi doesn't play anymore. But these guys, honestly, it needs a lot of physical and mental effort to keep it going. Yeah, and the question is, at what point do you stop? Right. So Pete Sampras won 14, and it took, what was it, seven years, six years for Roger Federer to surpass him. When would he have stopped had Rafa Nadal not been around? Mm. And later... Djokovic, if he hadn't been around when he reached 18, mm. perhaps that would have been enough, maybe, and he would have quit. But you had all these guys pushing and pushing and pushing, winning Grand Slam after Grand Slam. And I don't know how much this may mean to them in terms of cementing a legacy as the greatest of all time. All great sports people have egos. It's got to play a, play a part. But I do feel that, I, I do wonder how many of them would have retired years ago had there been no one else to push them? Because, hey, I'm, I've gone five, six Grand Slams past the last guy. Mm. So why do I need to keep playing anymore? My legacy is cemented. It's going to take someone a long time to pass me here. You've got someone, your next door neighbor is basically on the same as you, you know, always pushing you. And, and on this, Bhavesh, I think, I know the section is about Nadal, but if we look at Federer and how much that rivalry has meant to him, you guys will remember the 2017 Oz Open final where Federer actually oh, came yeah. back from a six-month injury and he was a breakpoint oh, yeah. down in that fifth set against Nadal. And just how emotional he was at the end of it. It was, it was something I've never seen before with Federer. It was just, as you've said, this constant pushing each other on and, and it was almost like by beating Nadal in that final, he'd almost proven something to himself. And I think that the, the three of them have totally just elevated each other to, to a level that I think the game is unlikely to see ever again. Absolutely. When I was, uh, when I was watching that final in 2017, I actually put something on Facebook. Nadal versus Federal final. Dhoni and Yuvraj in a partnership against England, what world are we living in? It was 2017, you know? <laughs> so it was going back in time. All right, guys. I, I do want to wrap up this tennis conversation, but before I wrap up, I have one last question for all of you guys. 
if you could sum up Rafa Nadal in one word, what would it be? I'll start with you, Kapreet. Probably the nicest Real Madrid fan. <laughs> well, not one word, but I'll take it. Sid, what do you say? A fighter. Fighter. Yeah. Legit. Avish. Uh, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we don't throw that word lightly around here. And if Bhavesh has made that noise, you know how highly we rate Rafael Nadal over here. Regardless of whether we're Team Federer or Team Djokovic, I doubt there's any Team Djokovic here, but you know, regardless of how we feel, I think Rafa Nadal is right up there and absolutely deserves to be in the GOAT conversation with how much he's achieved. I mean, 20 grand, 21 Grand Slams speaks for itself. There's no debate after that. Bhavesh has spoken. Wait, was that the goat conversation? I was, I was just throwing my arms wide and doing a Shara Khan impersonation. I, so, no, but <laughs> hey, if Pete Sampras had won the same amount of uh, uh, French Open finals as he won the Wimbledon, this conversation would have been a different one. He was just a different personality when he turned up to French Open versus when he turned up to Wimbledon. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And with that, we can wrap up our conversation on the tennis front and move on to the other big headline maker this week, the cricket drama. I mean, for the longest amount of time, we've usually just called it the Asian Drama Cup with all this Asian subcontinental teams um, trying to figure out who can do the their absolute best at seeming like a fool when it comes to cricket management. But, you know, I think the virus is spreading. And I do apologize to our listeners for making this reference right now. But I think the English and the Aussies have caught on to that. Um, Sid, why don't you fill us in on what's happened this week in the world of cricket management? Well, a lot has happened, actually. And since you mentioned the virus, I actually came up with the name when we were discussing a drama. It's actually called the drama Cron. Seriously, the way it's been spreading, it seems to be very, very infectious. Love it. I don't know which is the more controversial <laughs> one. Is it the England, the Aussies or the Indian ones? Uh, but let's start with our neighbours, Australia, because they are the closest. Well, actually, your home country right now, Shivank. Um, so I actually pulled up some stats because you mentioned stats. And the final report card for Justin Lenga, the win-loss ratio is 1.285. I'm just trying to scratch my head around thinking, that's a pretty impressive number. The only thing wrong this guy has done is not beat India in Australia twice. Once he was building the team because they had just come out of that uh, debacle in South Africa. Second time, I think the Indian team was just just too good for them. Other than that, retained the Ashes, won the Ashes, won a T20 World Cup. Just trying to think, what, what went wrong? He actually got no support from the players, none whatsoever. And for Pat Cummins, and I thought Pat Cummins was a genuine guy, for him to say everyone's a part of performance management, Sure, let's talk about his performance. I don't see anything wrong with it. So that's the Australian side of things. No one supported the guy. Uh, the ex-players have come out very emotionally in his support, likes of Matthew Hayden and Ricky Ponting. Um, then we have, moving on to India, Saurav Ganguly said he never attended the meetings at BCCI. Then BCCI very nicely decided to put out a tweet of 25th October 2019, which is two years ago, just about to kickstart the selection committee meeting. That's brilliant. Guys, Let's just see what your boss is saying, because 
you can't be contradicting your boss. Well, they did. Anyways, and nobody had the courtesy to delete the tweet, at least delete the tweet, you know, just support your boss. But never mind. Moving on to the home of cricket, England. Uh, Chris Silverwood, thank you very much for your services. It's been nice being on holiday with you in Australia. Hope you had a good time. Uh, <laughs> but your services are not required anymore. So I think that pretty much sums up the big three and the world of cricket in the last one week. <laughs> Hey, you know what I actually think? Okay, this is a conspiracy theory, I will admit, but it's a pretty good one if you follow through. Um, England sacked their head coach, Chris Silverwood, the night before Justin Langer got the boot. What I'm thinking is both of these countries knew that Ricky Ponting's available and they both want Ponting. So when England actually sacked Silverwood thinking they could get Ponting, Australia followed suit so that they are in the running for Ponting as well. I mean, Sid just said... Langer's record's been pretty decent with his win-loss percentage. There was no real reason to sack him. I think that's the real reason. Um, If that's the reason, I think they've both made a big mistake, especially the Australian cricket board, because Ponting's come out very clearly on a number of occasions and said he doesn't want the coaching for the national side because he wants to spend time with his family. He's been offered it before. He's been offered by other countries as well, including India, uh, which was kind of off the record when T20 World Cup was going on. So if that's the reason they've sacked Langer, I think they are pretty stupid. Uh, he's happy with what he's doing with IPL because that's six weeks. Um, and also they're pretty happy with, uh, you know, he's happy with the uh, the commentary stint he, uh, he does for the Australian summer. But that's about it. He's not going to take up the coaching role. So they are actually going to have a big struggle as well going forward, depending on who they find as a coach. That's just my take on it. And I could be wrong. But... I don't see them finding a coach as good as Justin Langer for the near future. On that said, just reading the quotes. Um, so this was on this was Ricky Ponting's interview on on ABC Radio. One of the things he very clearly called out was, and he didn't mince his words here. This was clearly about player power. Mm. He specifically pointed out that there was a very small group of players in the current squad who were behind this decision. Mm. He's also said Justin Langer was like a brother. Yeah. Now, he's clearly calling out player power here. He's calling out his friendship with Justin Langer. Doesn't seem like the right guy to walk into that environment. Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. I mean, he they, uh, they used to play together. There was a good, strong core team when... Justin Langer, Matthew Hidden used to come out and open the innings and then Ricky Ponting and all those guys. So it was a tight unit. Those players were strong as well, much stronger than these guys are. And when I, by that, I mean as a player. As a but player, they yeah. never sort of, they never sort of, you know, went against the coach, especially a coach who's actually lifted the team from its, you know, dark uh, times in South Africa in 2018 to where they are right now, like a dominant performance winning the Ashes 4-0 at home. The, the sad part was, none of the players actually came out to support Justin Langer. And I don't know why. Are these the same players who actually conspirated the whole 2018 thing in South Africa? Because I don't believe for one minute that the ballers didn't know what was going on. You know? Um, so, they are, we're talking the same group of players who did not support Justin Langer. And we're talking the same group of ballers who was playing at the time who just turned naive that they didn't know what was going on with the ball tempering issue. So there is a much bigger issue at hand, not just the player power and them going against Justin Langer. I think this is what started back in South Africa 
that's still having its effects on the on the management sort of things for Australia right now. Can we can we get the uh, BCCI inside source to tell us exactly what happened? <laughs> oh, the unnamed source strikes again. Unnamed source. Well, he took a photo and put it on Twitter. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, Sid, let's let's talk about that photo actually, um, and not just about that photo, but the controversy that has emerged around sort of Ganguly, you know with that photo about the selection committee and then everything that's transpired in the last couple of weeks, do you think he's tarnishing his own legacy by, you know, by whatever's going on? I mean, there's a lot of respect that he has for what he's done as the captain of the Indian team when he picked up, like, kind of like Justin Langer, he picked up the team when it was at a very low point. He built the team from the ground up and his legacy, well, there's elements of his legacy that you can still see to this day in the way the attitude and the culture has shifted, which obviously has been made better by Dhoni's and then subsequently by Kohli. But do you mm. think all of this is basically tarnishing his legacy? I think to a point it is. And more than anything, it's actually tarnishing the the image of Indian cricket right now, which was actually going in an upwards direction. And then it all fell apart in South Africa, purely because of this fallout between uh, Kohli and uh, Ganguly. Um Interestingly, there are some sections of people who are blaming Kohli for all of this. They are saying it's Kohli who has a problem getting along with people, and they quote Anil Kumble as an example, back after Champions Trophy in 2017. Uh, they may have a point, but not necessarily. It may not be a true point, but they are saying it's all Kohli's fault because he's a common denominator. Um, coming to Ganguly, I think he how he started and how he's panned out are two different things. He said recently, I'm not answerable to anyone about anything. Um, but where he is, as far as I see it. So, yeah, to your point, he has tarnished his image a bit that is he the right guy to run the uh, BCCI because BCCI is, um, it's a strong body. I mean, it's as good as ICC, actually, if if we have to think about it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. It's affecting Indian cricket. That's all I can say. It's affecting Indian cricket, and it's uh, they can do a lot better. I think, unfortunately, as Indian fans, we have during his playing career seen the two sides of Saurav Ganguly, and now as an administrator, we're seeing the bad side. So even yeah. as a player and a captain, great captain, I I think he was he's in my top two captains in Indian history. And Kohli's first, by the way. That's controversial, I know. But Oh, I wouldn't say so. My list is the exact same. Mm-hmm. Yep, so definitely. I mean, so we agree on that. Because I think in test matches and one-day matches, he, he transformed this Indian team to actually be battlers abroad. It's a huge, huge change from what it was before. But we knew that he had that belligerence in him. Sometimes it turned inwards. Sometimes it was self-destructive. Sometimes he quarreled within the team structure, which did affect team harmony. Now we're seeing that as an administrator. And it's it's sad to see because it is hurting Indian cricket. It is tarnishing his legacy. And for him to come out and say, you know, I've played, what, 424 international matches and it's it's a good thing, you know, not a bad idea at times to remind people about. Well, that's a classic way of missing the point. It's not about how many international matches you've played. It's about how well you administrate, how well you lead people in a different capacity. You know, otherwise, Sachin Tendulkar should be the president of the BCCI. Mm. But, but Pavish, uh, on this, 
and look, this is as a black cap supporter looking in. I'm really interested in what you think on this. Ganguly's obviously gone out to the media and called out his 400-odd test matches, whatever. What's really surprising for me is the accusations leveled against him, interference into selection committee meetings. The, the fact that he has been himself as a player where Kohli was. He, he was quite literally the former Indian captain, right? I mean, surely as a captain, he would have hated that sort of interference, right? That's what seems really baffling to me, right? It's, uh, it, it's almost becoming a circus act, right? It, it's, it, it's not like this is some unknown billionaire who's paid his way into these meetings. This is quite literally an elite athlete who was in the same position as the captain who stepped in. Let's not forget that in order to get to the position Ganguly has gotten, the people who have held that post before him have been billionaires and have been politicians. There's a degree of, um, I don't know, there, there is a large degree of politics that takes place in determining who the PCCI president is going to be. And it's telling that out of that generation of greats that he nurtured, that he's really the one who's made it into cricket administration. The others went into coaching, into mentoring, into media, and so on. He's the one who actually went in for cricket administration. So it is a nasty game. There there are a lot of people, I think, that you have to please along the way, and a lot of people you've got to answer to. Ganguly himself will have a lot of stakeholders, and a lot of people he would have, he would have made enemies along the way too. Uh, so it's a nasty power game. I, I don't know exactly what the equation is you know let's keep in mind too that during the kumble saga ganguly was on kumble's side and potentially this is him you know putting his foot down taking back the power from the players he might feel he might be of the same opinion as kumble that player power has gone too far so we don't know exactly what it is but whatever it is it's hurting indian cricket and of course i gotta say that this whole saga of I was never at selection meetings, next minute you see the photo of him at selection meetings. Are these guys taking managerial lessons from the office? Because that's the sort of thing you'd expect to see Steve Carell. <laughs> so so we've, had, we've had Sid summarize the Aussie situation as player power. We've had you describe the Indian situation as pesky politics. Can we use peace to describe the English situation? I'm going to open the, uh, I'm going to open the discussion with piss poor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a perfect, perfect example of how not to run cricket. That's what England is all about. Like, yeah, piss poor. That's I think that's the best way to sum it up. I really wish alliteration started with P instead of A because we've done some really good at alliteration, if you will. Alliterations. Yeah, alliteration. Alliteration. I mean, the drama crone is a perfect name for this one because it's a virus which is spreading. It started with. Uh, Pakistan. Well, actually, that's a good point. Where did it start? <laughs> India? I don't. Yeah, well, Pakistan. There you go. Thank you. I have another golden answer. When sort of Ganguly said, "I've had 424 caps for India," he got the wires from Jose Mourinho when he said, three for me, none for the others." Respect, man. Respect. This was Ganguly's version of doing the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, United fans. I had to bring no, no, this no, up. No, it's okay. Jose is not is is not upset. Jose thinks that Jose has three Premier League titles, and so Jose is very happy with that. If you say any more, you'll be in trouble. 
<laughs> if I if I speak, I'll be. <laughs> The 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 the, uh, the lesson and alliteration that we've had. If there is one personality in world sport that has all of them, player power hates it, pesky politics loves it, and piss poor right now, it's got to be Jose. It's got to be Jose. <laughs> I mean, I actually, he's done runs down the touchline. Sort of Ganguly's um, spun his shirt. <laughs> You're not going to see Saurav Ganguly doing cardio if you can help yeah. it. <laughs> that, that's an image on top of uh, on top of that balcony that is hard to unsee once you've seen it. Once you've seen it. Yeah. So, so can I can I just ask why is it that everyone just rails on Ganguly about him taking a shirt off and how it being unsightly when Freddie Flintoff with his big old beer belly glistening in the one K day sun doesn't get mentioned at all. It, it, I mean, to me, it's like Bill English doing the haka once we went, once New Zealand won the uh, America's Cup. It was, it was that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think because it happened at Lords, you don't normally associate something like that, this with Lords, but it happened at Lords. Um, and I think Ganguly was waiting for this moment to happen so he can actually do a Freddie Flintoff. Well, yeah, I mean... He just looked bad. Freddie still had a few muscles, which... But Ganguly's basically Ganguly come out and said that was payback yeah. for what he did at the Vankere. Yeah, pretty much. And look, and look guys, much. that is actually Ganguly yeah. in a nutshell. I, lo- I, I love the guy as a player. Look, he had this plan. He'd been working on it for a long time. It finally paid off. But he, he forgot to manscape. <laughs> you know, this is just... The man's always had that one tiny flaw. This, this podcast has been um, brought to you by our sponsors at Manscaped. Look- <laughs> Free product placement for them. <laughs> I have to remind everyone how he became the Prince of Calcutta. He was never a prince. He just refused to carry his own baggage. That's how we're still seeing signs baggage. of that. You know, he refused. Exactly. He refused to, you know, take his kit along. He wanted someone to pick it up. Mm. Still the same issue. Nothing has changed. I mean, I loved the guy. I loved as a captain. He had a very fighting spirit. But, uh, yeah, something's never changed. But Okay, here's a serious question for you guys. And um, I think we've bantered about Ganguly and BCCI a fair bit over here, along with the other boards. But speaking specifically of the BCCI, like, where to from here? I mean, Ganguly and Jay Shah have been on a cooling down period for two years. Um, doesn't seem like they're cooling down. I think they're just getting warmed up for another five years of management. <laughs> I mean, where to from here? Yep, yep. You know, the issue is, what's the main issue? That is the issue. Like, what is the main issue right now? Are we discussing a test captain? Are they, that's what they're looking at announcing? Or are they actually looking at fixing what the, the mess they have created? So you don't even know. In all of this, we, we've lost focus from the main issue, which is the test team, which has been performing so well for the last 12 to 18 months or two years overseas does not have a test captain, and we don't even have a candidate in mind. That's how bad things have become. And, and I think, b- banter aside, said, uh, I think you've touched on something very important here. Uh, particularly over the last decade, I think this is a team that, regardless of who you support, regardless of where your test cricketing, o- ODI cricket loyalties lie, it's undeniable that this team has in many ways been the benchmark. Right, Indian Indian cricket has been the benchmark over the last ten years. It's just really sad that the circus act of the last six months casts a massive shadow over everything that's preceded preceded everything Absolutely. up to this point. 
Absolutely. Um, and in all of this, we've lost sight of the fact that India just won the Under-19 World Cup. There you go. Well, the performances on the field have been fantastic yeah, across yeah, the age groups. Yeah. And yet here we are spending so much time talking about the BCCI. because, And, and this is the problem, isn't it? Exactly. They should not be in the spotlight. Absolutely. What they did for the last two or three years was stay in the background, partly because of the Loader Committee and because of the reforms being instituted. They were lying low. Now... It seems like, you know, the, the bad old monster is rearing his head again. Exactly. That's what I said. We should be discussing who's the next test, test captain. That's not even the issue right now, you know. Um, how good the under-19 players played, that's not even the issue right now. The issue is BCCI versus Kohli. And that's that's the wrong thing to be, you know, in the Indian cricket space. I have a solution. The, the, I'm all ears. The, the Glazers. The, 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 the Glazers would be perfect. <laughs> Put the Glazers in charge of Indian cricket. Can I suggest Roman uh, instead? Uh, the only problem here, Shivank, is Roman can't use his money to buy players of, of national... Well, maybe he can. I, I, but I, I, he doesn't need to. He's got the biggest talent factory in the world that's now ch- even churning out fast bowlers at will. I mean, look at the under-19 fast bowlers team. This is for, the, for a change the time he doesn't have to invest in buying overseas talent he's got a talent factory that will produce as much talent as he wants can timo werner bat in the middle order though um it's like saying can lukaku bowl off spinners well he probably thinks he can though he probably thinks he's the best off spinner that's ever lived that is a scary sight I mean, he's a six foot three inch guy who weighs around ninety five kilos, and he is muscular as anything. And instead of him being a fast bowler, I can just picture him being a left arm off spinner, just like Ravi Jadeja. I, I I would say if anyone in that Indian middle order ran Lukaku out, it's it's gonna be scary as. <laughs> it's a question for you, Gurpreet. Is it as scary as Ganguly taking off a shirt at Lord's balcony? Mm-hmm. I think whoever runs Lukaku out is booking a flight to Milan and on that note it's time to wrap up this episode thank you uh, to our panelists for all your expert opinions and comments thank you to our listeners for joining in Um, we'll be back next week with more sports analysis and banter right here on the Bank Pass (laughs) 